Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the Adventures of Bradley and Dawn. It's our second hour and we've got a question for you. 651-641-1071. What's your boomer opinion? Like you've had it enough with technology or whatever you want to shake your fist at. Maybe maybe you don't read ebooks. You just need a real paper book. Maybe you hate going to concerts when people are constantly uh, putting up their phones to record the moment. 651-641-1071. That's the question. What's your boomer opinion? And Dawn, you might be wondering why we're asking this question, even though you're not, because I told you about it. <laughs> That's right. I am. Come on, Bradley. Share the details about your day. You told me a little story there. I well, know yeah. about what happened this morning. I hadn't even thought about it, and then I was going through a list of, you know, uh, the internets that it provides each day, and I saw this list, and I go, you know, it's funny, because this morning I was out walking my dog, and I noticed, I just happened to notice that a person was walking in the opposite direction, and as they walked down the block, the entire time they were on their phone, like, looking down, and I was like, I want to know if that person, uh, and I didn't, because I was, you know... Uh, Continued on my walk with the dog because, you know, picking up her poop was more important, sadly. Um, like if they are even looking up when they cross the street, because so many times now you see people that are just glued to their phone. And I thought, is this the world we're going to live in where nobody's going to see what's around them, where nobody's just going to have the experience of, you know, appreciating the beautiful snow and the sunshine because they're so consumed oh, by wow. their phone. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a self-fulfilled prophecy. We've all been like, oh, no, like shows like Black Mirror, how we're just going to be a slave to our phones and technology and AI and all of that. But then, um, you know, I think people make a conscious, conscious effort to, like, break themselves out of that. But they're doing it on social media to tell people that they're, that they're going to do it. So it's like, I'm taking a break from social media. It's like, just do it. Don't announce it. Well, and I but, honestly think those are people over a certain age. Like, I feel like people under the age of 30, frankly, they don't think about there being a problem being on social media all the time because that's just all they've ever known. Like, you and I can right. realize that, right? Because we lived in a world before social media. So for us, yeah. it just seems like... Frankly, um, it shouldn't be something we do all the time. But I don't think that guilt or that thought process is one that goes through like a 30-something's mind. So this is going to be the biggest gap between our generation and this this one that's younger than us. Because there's always some type of a divide between generations. Gosh, have we taken a subject and really just... What are some fun ones? Don't you have some type of a list or something? Yeah, about, the, um, the the list that got me thinking about this just goes through the top 10 things that um, 
the top 10 things uh, that people consider boomer opinions that frankly, I don't think you have to be a boomer to have the opinion. Like some people, for example, are not willing to read a book uh, like on a Kindle. They want to read like an actual book. Oh, a paper book. Yeah. Like some people are like, I'm not going to do that. I want to read a physical book. And again, I don't think that's a generational thing for some people because I feel like some young people just want to have that tactile book, but it's an opinion that anybody, you know, can have. We've That's got, true. We've got Elizabeth on the line. Let's find out what Elizabeth's boomer opinion is. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi. So I am scared that in like 20 years, we're all going to be walking around with hunchbacks and like pump necks because we stare at our phones it's constantly. True. And especially my kids, like, I don't think we're going to have straight backs and we're going to have like texture some and we're going to screw ourselves up. Yes, the posture. Do you tell them to stand up straight? Yes. You're like, quit hunching. We're going to turn into just little turtles. I'm because I'm like, literally, I think we're going to see, it's going to evolve, but it'll be a good, maybe 20 years before we notice it, but. Well, and maybe it'll be become. A society. Maybe it'll just become like a sexy thing. You know, like that'll be the standard is you have sexy. to have a hunchback. Like, because everybody's got them. So they're like, oh, you have a really nice hunchback. Keep dreaming. Keep dreaming. Oh <laughs> Keep dreaming. Um, wow. Also on this list, paper menus. Some people think paper menus are far superior to QR codes. Sign me up. I totally agree. I do not want to read a menu on a QR code. Thank you. Oh, I do it in advance anyway, because it takes me so long to make a decision. I have to look up the menu in advance. Oh, I see what you're saying. Because I don't want to waste people's time at the restaurant. Like, but, if I'm out with friends, I'm like, oh, i got to pre-peruse this menu. Yeah. Do you, but, like, you know the restaurants where you go and you have to, like, they don't give you a paper menu. You actually was, have to use yeah. the QR code. Like, right. I I want to be able to sit down and just have that old-fashioned experience of, like, give me the paper Oh, because then otherwise we're all on our phones again. Do you know what I mean? That's true. It's true. You need more. You want things that that are uh, real, real life experiences instead of living in a virtual. Yeah. World. And it's I not that totally I'm opposed understand. to technology. I, like, look, I, you know, I um, consider myself an early adopter with some technology. So it's not that I'm opposed to technology, but I feel like there's I don't know. I feel like there's limits. Jeff is on the line. He's got a boomer opinion for us. Should we find out what it is? Jeff, yes. Hi, Jeff. Hi, good morning. I got to tell you, uh, this is a great question because over the holidays, I had some visitors and I always use a high chair for the kids, or at least I offer it to my brothers and sisters for their children. And Uh one of them was too small. So I said, well, we need a phone book. And I couldn't find a phone book or a catalog, and we don't have those anymore. But I tell right. you, I use a phone book. I need a phone yeah. book. So you actually yeah. still use a phone book? Yes, I do. I have it on my desk. Oh, my yeah. God. That's awesome. Okay. Oh, where, wow. did, where do you get those things? Well, I did have to search around. You know, I'm up in northern Minnesota, and uh, I, I eventually got one from a phone company. But, you know, catalogs work good, too, but we don't have many catalogs anymore. You're absolutely well, right. for I didn't listening even, up there. <laughs> I didn't even think about it, Jeff. Thank you so much. Yeah. Okay, thanks, Jeff's, Jeff. Jeff's using a phone book. Do you have a phone That's book, Don? I don't have a phone book, but we always used to use one, you know, whenever, you know, you had to have a booster seat. It's like, go get the phone book. Yeah. But it again, does huge. anybody, like nobody under the age of, I don't know, what even age would that be anymore that somebody would know what a phone book is? 40? I don't know. <laughs> uh, gosh, I guess I can't 40. think of the last phone book I've had in my house. Mike, do you have no. you ever yeah, had, fo- well, I've had phone? Growing up, up. Growing up, but yeah. yeah. 
But I feel like we haven't had phone books for like... No, it's been a long time. 15 it's been a long years? time. They used to try to force them on us because they were kind of dying, and I think they needed the ad revenue. And they're like, we have to keep the phone book. Yeah. And they'll, they would get delivered at your house, and then you're like, I really want to recycle this thing because I'm not using it. It would always be up on top of the refrigerator. Yeah. That's where the phone book is kept. Right? <sighs> All right. Um, let's let Linda be the last word. Linda, what is your boomer thought, your boomer opinion? I have password rage. Ooh, tell me about your oh. password rage. <laughs> I, I, I feel like I can't move without entering a password, even though mm. my phone uh, saves them all and they're supposed to automatically load. But it never Half does. Half the time, I'd say, they say wrong password. I know. And I have to start all over again, reset it. It just, it's every single day. Or maybe it's your phone saved it, but the browser didn't, or the browser saved it, but your uh, phone didn't. Uh, you know, I really don't, I really don't know, um, yeah. because some of them is fine. Yeah. And others, like PayPal, for <sighs> example, <laughs> which yeah. I don't use often, but it never, it never works. And it says, do you want us to save your password? And you're like, yes, but then it asks you to enter it every time. Yeah. It's yes, just... and then it's, and it, right, and if I have it in my list of saved passwords, I'll, you know, right. I'll click on that and they'll say wrong. So mm-hmm. I just, oh, my God. You're not alone, yeah. Linda. Thanks Thank so much you. for sharing your boomer Thank opinions. You. Uh, when we come back, Dawn, you finished a book. It's not Prince Harry's book because that hasn't come out yet. But it was another book Correct. that you actually read the paper book of. Absolutely. And I'll tell you all about it. All right. She's going to do that when we come back right here on My Talk 1071. Welcome back to the Adventures of Bradley and Dawn. I'm the Bradley, and Dawn has finished reading Matthew Perry's book. Tell us all about it. Oh my gosh, I sure have. It is really good, um, especially if you liked Friends, if you're a fan of Matthew Perry, and also if you um, just have an open heart to people who struggle with addiction. It's an excellent read. He really does talk about so many things in this book that that you just can't believe that someone's body can go through all of the things that Matthew Perry mm. put his body through when it comes to the amount of drugs that he took. I, I mean, at one point he was um, he was when he was filming uh, the whole nine yards with Bruce Willis, mm-hmm. I believe. At that point, he was on fifty five pills a day wow what kind of medic or was this medication he was I, supposed to be on or he was just taking oh no no, no 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 he is taking um so he never did heroin or anything like that but these are prescription pills that he got addicted to okay um what kind of so he was a um i mean anything from um oxycontin mm. which is just absolutely the most evil oh, sure. drug that's ever been invented watch dope sick if you yeah. don't believe me my god it's just it's heart-rending uh but taking, um, gosh, things for pain, just hydrocodone pills, um, uh, Valium. Oh, yeah. my gosh. That's the so big one. he was taking he, tons of pills. Yes, he was taking tons and tons of pills, but also drinking at the same time. And he tells you, like, if you see me in, in episodes of Friends where I'm very, very skinny, I'm doing a lot of pills. And if I'm heavy, that means I'm drinking. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there are parts of seasons that he doesn't even really remember you know um and just the struggles that would cause him to go and relapse it's fascinating i you know i'm fascinated by stories like this 
just because of the pain that people are trying to cover up in their lives and they just don't want to face. It's so painful that they'll put themselves through this and all they want to do is just feel like what they think a normie, as he calls it, a normal person would feel. You know, and he, they're trying to get to a place of normalcy where they don't have to feel that pain and they numb, they numb the pain and they numb the pain. And I just have such empathy for him. And I, I hope that he continues his road to sobriety because he's only been sober since he wrote this book for a couple of years. Yeah. And, and go ahead. I was just going to say, and a lot of people, you know, had, you know, maybe not per se criticism, but at least, you know, concern that like, is this maybe too soon to be writing a book where you can reflect with a certain amount of distance following your sobriety about the things that happened to your life? How did he accomplish the task or how successful was he at accomplishing the task of writing a thoughtful narrative of, of his experience? Okay. I think he... This is where I think it falls short. I will say that the that the stories are fascinating. I think that he jumps back in time a lot, and you get confused about where he is at what time, what movie he's filming, and almost a lot of the book is about his relationships with women, and he doesn't come out and say some of their names and maybe he's trying to maybe disguise who they are by sort of I don't know uh taking you through a little journey where you go back and forth in time, but everybody's Googling it and finding out who it is. Like one, for instance, is Lizzie Kaplan. He had his longest relationship with her of six years. And, um, but I would say to answer your question, yeah, I really feel like they needed to do some more drafts as far as the editing goes, because you get confused. Like on one page, it'll be like, wait a minute. Are we, when you're filming this movie, are we on season three of friends? I can't really keep track. And in the middle, you're constantly Googling to try to figure out what girl he's talking about, you know, just because it's hard for me to read something and not like, if I know it's a celebrity. Yeah. You want to find out who it is. Was Because I go ahead. Who uh, were there any particular celebrity stories that you were like, wow, I didn't know that before. Wow, I would not have thought that was like things that surprised you. I did not. Um, Well, I did not know that he dated Julia Roberts Hmm. and basically dumped her. You know, that was the first uh, going into the second season of Friends. There's a story he tells about how. You know, Julia Roberts was smitten with him, and he's only like 25, 26 years old at the time. And um, she basically, her her people sent over a message to the creators saying, I want to be on Friends, but I will only be on Friends if you allow me in Chandler's storyline. Oh, because she had a crush on him. Okay. And so they worked. Dear Colgate, I love that you love that I love being at home. You even let me whiten my teeth from home. Because you know how I feel about getting up from my cloud couch. The Colgate Optic White LED Kit gives professional level results in just 10 minutes a day for 10 days when used as directed. And that's why, Colgate, I want you to meet my parents. Because ever since meeting you, I've been living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. 
Find Reese's now at a store near you. Into the Super Bowl episode, and uh, and there's just it's it's so romantic. I'm I'm not a romantic, but this is before the internet or cell phones or anything. So they had a faxing relationship for three months. <laughs> faxing? They so they literally were faxing constantly. each other. For three months, and no? they were faxing okay. all, like, he said that you could stand it up and it would be as tall as a person, as far as, like, how many faxes they sent to each other. This was before I, they even so spoke to 90s. each other. It's so 90s, and it's so, um, so, so they actually started dating before she even set foot on the step. The, the set of friends, and they just did it by fax and by phone. They would talk on the phone for like five hours. Did they? How long it's, did they last? About a year, mm. and then he called things off. He even went to her home, like in um, New Mexico and Taos, um, for Christmas. I mean, he he met her family. Um, and every relationship he had, he just beats himself up because he would end them whenever things got, you know, it's sort of cliche, but when he never could really open up because yeah. he couldn't get past his own pain. I was going to say. He couldn't be vulnerable enough because it scared him. He has abandonment issues. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's fascinating because the women that, and then he got to a point where he would just tell women, like, I am emotionally unavailable, so if you want to date somebody that you can never, ever have, you can't have me, um, I will never be that. But if you want to have fun, then, you know, I'm the guy for you. And That's then he a certain would say, awareness. He would take him out to dinner. He has a whole speech in that he would say exactly to everyone, which is kind of creepy. And then he would like, say, what was the speech? did you get a chance? Well, it was just like, I want to be really upfront and honest with you about this. I wanted to ask you out on a date. But before we get any further, I think it's important for you to know that um, I'm never going to be able to have an emotional relationship with you. So if you want to just have fun with me, we can do that. Have you had a chance to look at the menu? What? He like there was a pause there. He literally would, would just go right look to at the him, menu. And then he would go, did you get a chance to look at the menu? And then if they stayed, then they would. And I was fascinated at how many women fell for that. Not wow. fell for it like it was a trick, but, but would still get in a relationship with him. It's a really good read. It's called Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing by Matthew Perry. All right. Thanks for actually reading an actual book. <laughs> Don't worry. Yes. When we read Spare tomorrow, you're not going to have to read books. You're just going to listen to words. And yes. when we come back, we're going to listen to more of Dawn's words as she tells us about Maureen O'Hara in the golden age of Hollywood on the back lot right here on My Talk 1071. Welcome back to the second hour of The Adventures of Bradley and Dawn. I'm Bradley, that's Dawn, and Mike is here, and you guys, we're going to head back to the back lot of a golden age of Hollywood story, courtesy of our good friend Dawn. Dawn, who are we talking about this week? Well, this week on the back lot, we are talking about a magazine called The Confidential. This was like one of the first tabloid magazines that were out there, and it was a celebrity gossip magazine. It was a quarterly uh, it would really, was really making celebrities upset, you know, the golden age, age of Hollywood where they could have these, you know, all these swinging parties and behave the way they want to behave started to sort of disappear in, uh, it was launched in December of 1952, and by 1957, uh, stars got together and um, enlisted California State Attorney General Pat Brown to intervene on these stories that they were publishing. One in particular was about 
about Maureen O'Hara. Yeah, tell me about this. So I didn't know this Maureen O'Hara story. So Maureen O'Hara, she, um, they basically accused her of being at Grom's Chinese Theater, which is a movie theater in Hollywood. Everybody knows, you know, that's where the big red carpet, you know, events happen. And uh, Grom's, I'm sorry. Um, And so she was, um, this was a false story, she said, but she was actually in the balcony making out with someone. And the, the... The story was that they were actually doing more than just making out, and they got kicked out of the theater because of it. Oh, they were getting a little hot and heavy backstage, or not backstage, but in the theater. In the theater. Now, this was so such BS that, I mean, was it or was it not? Nobody really knows, but she was really mad at the, and she got together with other celebrities who then sued the reporter and it was actually um not the, i want to call it the hollywood reporter but it's it's the hollywood confidential is what it was called um and people like um uh liberace also was attacked um so uh, back to the maureen o'hara story did she like yeah so was whether or not it was true she actually sued was she like successful at all at um they were successful yes so yes, she they, they were, did because I think that was that, like that was the key thing, right? Like nobody had ever had the the ability to like take it to court before. That is correct. Yes. So, I mean, all of these. There's also a story about um, Desi Arnaz in a Palm Springs cocktail lounge, mm. going back to his hotel room with an escort. And um, it, the story was called The Soiled Dove, which is one of the grossest what? titles I've ever heard in my life. Um, but they deliberated what? in court. It was a 14-day deliberation. The jury emerged split seven to five. A mistrial was declared about all of these cases. Um, and so the the prosecutor announced the magazine was quitting, or actually, I'm sorry, the, the head of the magazine announced the magazine was quitting the area of private affairs for the arena of public affairs. So they had 5 million subscribers, and then they plummeted to 200,000 by 1958. So everybody was really in on this celebrity gossip. I mean, think about this. This is before, way before... I mean, newspapers weren't printing this kind of stuff. You didn't have any place where you were hearing celebrity gossip. Yeah, well, I would say you you were probably reading about it in the newspaper unless you were in bed with or friends with somebody who was running one of the major newspapers. I think that, you know, then you had this whole sort of cottage in, cottage industry of tabloid magazines like Confidential who all of a sudden just realized that they had, you know, they had rating or not ratings, but... They had gold in the form of all of this gossip because, you know, the studios were so good at sort of hiding these terrible stories by their celebrities because used to be that, you know, they would end up in headlines in newspapers left and right. And then the studios were like, we can't have this because we can't have our stars in headlines. And so then they would pay, you know all of these people to keep these stories secret. And then you've got outfits like Confidential (laughs) showing up and providing these, you know, um, gossipy stories then, of course, the celebrities get the upper hand because they t- start taking these tabloids to court. 
And in, you but know, it the, backfires, really. Yeah, it absolutely does. And I mean, uh, although, I mean, it, it didn't work for Confidential, but look where we ended up today. I mean, Confidential, now we have People Magazine, TMZ, and certainly the relationship between the celebrities and the, the tabloids themselves has changed over the years. But but this was really, I think, the first time. Oh, this time. was a big deal. Oh, for I sure. I think that <clears throat> the biggest deal was that um, the newspaper itself, <coughs> excuse me, sorry, um, they subpoenaed 200 celebrities to grill them about their personal lives, and people just started fleeing California. Like, Lana Turner was served her subpoena at LAX. Mm. Um, so nobody wanted to be called up to the stand, and oh, that sure. was the genius of this well, Yeah, because if you're on the stand, then you have to say things out loud. You have loud. to talk about all yeah. of your dirty laundry, yep. and um, it just caused... I mean, the heads of studios were just flipping their lids because here they worked so hard to build up the image of some of these, uh, it's you know, some of these celebrities as maybe this leading man, you know, or, uh, you know, because there were stories about people being gay. There were stories about, um, you know, women not being the squeaky clean image that they wanted them to be. And all that work they put into these Hollywood stars and their image, that sells, you know, you have to have like the, the sweet, you know, person in the movie you know the ingenue and you don't want their reputation to be soiled like the soiled dove (laughs) isn't this just so interesting to me that like we don't want our celebrities to be a certain way but at the same time we're fascinated by the stories of how they are a certain way like it's just a weird dichotomy or a weird juxtaposition that like they can't be salacious and like we enjoy them as celebrities but then we also want the gossip because there would be oh, no yeah. gossip if there were no audience for the gossip. Right. And if you think celebrities back in the day were doing um, less crazy things than they do now, oh, oh God, you're no. so wrong about that. I mean, go oh, to no, the no, silent, no, no, no. silent film era. There were oh, all sorts man. of murder, intrigue, and theft, and adultery going on. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's just, if I could get my hand, you know, here I am, I'm reading all about this and I'm like, gosh, I really wish I could get my hands on one of these, these, um, a copy of one of these. Oh, sure. Confidential. Oh, I'm sure they're digitized. I bet you could find them online. But to have, you know, like a boomer would, like a a copy of one of them in my hands, in my hot little hands. Oh, for sure. You know, like on eBay, if somebody has one. But then I'm not willing to. This is why I should never have piles and piles of money. I would be like Nicolas Cage. I would be buying like stupid things like this, building a pyramid. Or like Leo (laughs) buying dinosaur bones. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. There was a story. Um also in this about Liberace, who you know a lot of this story, they were basically trying to out him, of course, uh, and he was a big part of this trial. Yeah, well, this and was, that a, was just... There was ahead. a huge trial in the UK between him and the Daily Mirror, and he ended up being successful. Essentially, it was a libel case, and I think at the time it was like the largest libel case in history. He ended up getting awarded a bunch of money It's because they were hinting at the fact that he was not heterosexual aka he was gay which it's so interesting because he obviously you know people get to identify themselves however they choose to and and um at that time he wouldn't have identified himself as gay but he he was successful actually this is a a, an area that i would love somebody to like do a whole podcast on i want to just hear about this case and sort of his like just the way his identity changed over the years but regardless like 
you know, in a way, he wanted to be able to control his own story, whether or not the story was true. You know, that's for history to decide. But at that time, it was a huge, huge case. I just find Liberace to be a completely fascinating human story. Me too. I started doing some deep dives once I started reading about his case and the case that you mentioned in Britain. I started just reading about him in general, which, you know, we should have a whole segment on that. But um, but yeah, and then just really wishing and trying to find um, the Michael Douglas movie where he played Liberace behind the candelabra. Have you not seen that? I haven't seen that. Matt Damon plays his lover in it, and just looking at uh, at Michael Douglas's face, he was asked to play. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can totally see a resemblance there. And just reading an article about why um, he wanted to play him, and I was like, wow, I didn't know that Michael Douglas was so um, committed to the craft of acting, and you know, you just kind of. Because of his father, and it's just sort of uh, the nepotism there is is for real, you know. Um, but well, I really I haven't and seen the movie, but I I'm excited to see it. I, well, I would say before you see the movie, you should read the book Behind the Candelabra by Scott Thorson. Scott was the guy that Liberace, you know, lived with for the rest of uh, the last chapters of his life, and that's what the movie was based on. And it, it really does give you because there's all these random stories about like Michael Jackson and. Elizabeth Taylor and I mean just these wonderful celebrity crossovers and Scott Thorson was a person with a very fascinating life as well that ended up crossing paths with obviously one of the most famous people of all time. Oh my gosh! So yeah, totally. Add that to and your list. And this is like—I mean, this is like a what a ten-year-old movie review I would be doing here of behind the. But do it. It's a good book. It's a wonderful, uh, a wonderful book, book and a wonderful movie. Speaking of books, if you didn't hear our first hour, we are going to be digesting Harry's book Spare, and we want you to come along on that journey with us—the journey of it's not a book club. It's a listening club, and we don't know what to call it. <laughs> Just call it not a book club. It's not a book it's Because not here's the thing. Lori and Julie are doing a book club, I'm sure. But we are yes. going to listen, because you and I both are going to listen to the audiobook. Mike, are you I listening am, to the yep, audiobook? I'm in as well. So the three of us are, are listening to the story starting tomorrow, and we're, you know, we're excited for your feedback i'm just excited to dig in and finally read this book because i've been waiting for this book for way too long and it's going to be one of my my uh last audible credits that i can finally use so oh great let's do it hey but when we come back i watched a movie over the weekend and i want to tell you about it i know you saw the movie mike have you seen the menu i have oh good so we're all going to share our thoughts about the menu and dear listeners feel free to do that uh with an email or a tweet during the break when we come back right here on my talk 1071 I watched another movie this weekend, and I got opinions. But I know that Dawn and Mike both here on The Adventures of Bradley and Dawn watched this movie as well. And if you guys saw it and have feels, let me know. Uh, right now, though, you you are listening to The Adventures of Bradley and Dawn. Dawn, have you seen The Menu? I mean, I know you have because, you know, I already said you had. Can you hear me? Hello? Hi, Dawn. Dawn's broadcasting Hi. from home Hi. today. She's feeling a little under the weather. Hi. Sorry about that. Yeah, it was it was going in and out. I can hear you now. Good. The menu, yes. You did yes, see the menu, and the menu. Mike, you've seen it as I well. I have, yeah. I got to tell you, on the one hand, like, I, I'm very, very, mm, I shouldn't oversell it, but I'm kind of mixed on this movie. Okay. I watched it. I enjoyed it, but there were parts that I did not like, uh, but... 
the more that I think about it after the fact, I'm like, the more I find myself thinking about it. And whenever I think about yes. a movie after I watch it, I'm like, that means that it had an effect on me, which means it was probably better than I thought. I don't know. Let me just tell you the premise for the audience who hasn't seen it. Essentially, oh, how should I describe it? Think. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Think about like Squid Game meets Ratatouille. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. Or so, like, right. I can't quite think of how to describe it, but it's a bunch of people show up on an island for a very special dinner. And it's like a like bougie dinner experience with like a leading chef and, you know, um, just all of the, the people that that help make, you know, a celebrity chef successful and fabulous. Right. And then, gosh, things take a really weird turn and it only gets worse from there. I don't, I'm not going to give it away. No spoilers. But. I I just I don't know why I found it to be so um I don't know mixed dawn but what was your feeling Okay Oh I loved it I'm so tired of seeing the same stories regurgitated Okay I'm or remakes or just like oh it's a prequel like this is a unique um new story but you found it to be that's interesting it reminded you too much of something else or you were like, uh, do you think you were just in a bad mood? No, I, I, on the one hand, it seemed really predictable. Like I could totally see this oh, movie okay. coming from a mile away. But then on the okay. other hand, like I said, I'm still thinking about it. And I I do appreciate like sort of the experimental, like let's 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 do something different. Right. Like I'm all right. here for that. Although I just felt like part of it, like I could see it coming, like I kind of knew. And I thought at the end, and again, I'm not going to give away anything, but I figured that by the end there might be something more. And I was like, oh, there's not really anything more. And so I maybe I wanted more out of the movie. I see. Okay. I, I It's a dark comedy, like the darkest dark comedy. And we were just laughing so much. Well, because it and- is really like, <laughs> What? Yeah, right? I mean, we were at the Alamo, and so we were actually eating. <laughs> you were at the, during what? our the, a lot of people were eating during the movie. We were at the Alamo. We saw you were it at, at the, the theater. Al- oh, I'm like, you were at the Alamo, like the actual <laughs> Alamo. I'm like, there's no theater at the Alamo. Oh my god, you mean in Texas? <laughs> like San Antonio? I'm like, she's no. 
the, she's mm. Pee Wee Hermaning uh, this movie. No, 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 we no, were no. at the Alamo. No, you weren't. No. There's no theater at the Alamo. Um, no, no, we you were meant, at, in Woodbury. You were at the Alamo Draft House or whatever the it's Alamo called. The Alamo Draft House, yeah. yes. Where people, you know, you can eat in the theater. Oh, it's God. Why would theater. you want to be eating watching this movie? Well, you don't know what's coming. You yeah, don't know. Let I mean, me just you know say, it's going to be a horror movie, but it's a horror. Well, and and it's funny because Jamie said, "Is this a horror movie?" And I go, "Well, yes, and because I'd heard a little bit of talk about this movie. Again, I didn't spoil it for myself, but I kind of could smell what what they were cooking. <laughs> um, and it's like a dark comedy, as you said. So there's like there's some darkness. Yet there's some comedy. Darkness. Have you you yes. saw Skid Game? Squid Game, right? Skid Game. <laughs> totally different show. You saw Squid Game, right? I can't recover from Squid Game. Yes, you can. You have to recover, dear. Okay. I saw. Of course, I loved Skid Game. Squid Game. (laughs) I loved it. It was the best. It was. uh, Didn't you feel like you had already been down that road where extreme violence shows up, and you're just like, okay. All right, did uh-huh. I need to oh, see that? Oh, it's a game, right? Uh, yeah, but I'm into horror movies. So, so you I were titillated by it. Take. You liked it. I did like it, but you know, interestingly enough, I hate descriptive words about food. But the thing is, is that yeah, I don't know how she made it through of, this movie. Yeah, because there, there are. This is like my nightmare. It's like you know, it just goes on and on and on about the descriptions of what they're eating because that's what well, you know, she see she she foo foo food is all about. <laughs> Yeah, and I will say, you know, they do a good job of characterizing or satirizing, like, the celebrity chef experience. Like, it's so precious, right? Like, I, this is not giving anything away. But it's not. for the listener, they're, one of the courses of the meal that all of these people are eating is called, like, the bread... Li- what's it called? The breadless bread place? Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's like all of these things you would put on bread, but there's no bread. And he's like, yes, because that's the point, because you deserve bread is for, you know, the common person and you are not common people. So you get no bread. And it's a and place people, known for their the bread. bread. So everybody's like, yeah. I, I want a piece of god darn bread. <laughs> um, so you, they, they did a good job of like skewering that thing where people are too smart about food. And not only right. the celebrity chef side of things, but just m- much in the vein of like White Lotus or even um, Knives Out, they do a good job of really characterizing all types of people. So you kind of know each person oh, in yeah. that room. You know who that person is kind of in real life, and they do a good job of picking fun at them. And then I just love how they they don't take themselves too seriously. Midway through the show, they start breaking the fourth wall in like a really sure. fun, creative yeah. way. And you're like, oh, okay. But I would agree with you, though. I loved every, like, I enjoyed the ride, and then you get to the end, and I was like, I enjoyed the ride. I don't think I enjoyed the ending. Yeah, like, maybe the ride wasn't done yet. Like, could we we finish the ride? I felt that same way. Oh, wow, really? I really loved it. Yeah, it did end abruptly, now that I remember. And again, I don't, you know, dear listeners, I won't give any spoilers, but it was one of those endings where you're like, are you, is there something I'm missing? And if you're just joining us, we are talking about the menu. It's on uh, HBO Max that is currently streaming. I think it started streaming this weekend. Prior, it had been in the theater. Did you both see it in theaters? Yep. Yes. And I wondered... I Mike saw it before I did. I did, yeah. So I wondered if seeing it in the theater gave you a different appreciation of the 
I think the storyline yeah the and the yeah. other uh, enjoying that experience with people I think also helps like a bigger group of mm. people because you had people that were gut like, laughing ah! at times at the same time there were other people's like wait a minute no I'm not supposed to laugh at that so it was kind of an interesting spot because you're you're seeing some horrific things that are in a dark comedy should you be laughing uh, I don't know and some people yeah, were people freer are at looking laughing. at you like yeah. Mike were people looking at you guys like oh my god why are they laughing exactly at yes it happened yes. a lot with us mm-hmm. oh really oh so you gosh. guys were laughing when other people weren't laughing yeah I think some people is there were anything that's not s- spoilery that you can uh, talk about because I want to like I want to know what was what what was driving the laughter Oh God! It's just I, I'm kind of a little bit too far away from it now. Oh, no, it's okay. It's been a while. Well, it is. Um, a... I mean, it was just you know things, uh, you know, people being hurt, I guess, or maybe <laughs> yeah. shot with yeah. arrows. Or <laughs> there was a pretty horrific moment where one of the sous chefs did something, and then all of a sudden the dish was named. Yeah, and that After was like yeah. I giggled that at that, but right. then when you really think about what just happened, that's not a laughing situation. Yeah, yeah. but again, no. that's when comedy. you realize. Yeah. That's when you realize this is a movie. Correct. and It's a dark comedy. It's kind of like again, Squid Game uh, had that that quality where the first time something violent like that happens, surprisingly violent, you're like, "Oh my god, this is terrible!" Yeah. But then you realize it's in service of something else, and it continues to happen. And by the like end of the you know movie, you're like, "Ha ha ha, death!" You know, I'm I'm hoping. Like, do you think it'll win a lot? Um, I would have. Several Golden Globe nominations. I don't. Uh, I should go back and look at the nominations for the menu because I I'm wonder if it's right like now. for supporting performances. I will say Anya Taylor Joy is in it. People would know her from The Queen's Gambit. Uh, what's his name? Holt. Christopher. Is it Christopher? Uh, Nicholas. Nicholas Holt, Holt uh, yes. plays her love interest. Ray Fiennes. Ray looks like Fiennes. Ray Fiennes. Um, it, he looks like Tom Cruise to me, but that's just a side note. It's like a young Tom he Cruise looks always. Like Christopher Holt? I thought you meant Ray Fiennes. No, Nicholas Holt. Like, what? No, Nicholas Holt. <laughs> yeah. I know Anya Taylor-Joy is nominated for the menu for uh, Best Actress. And they, oh, this was what was interesting. They put it in the comedy category. Yeah. Because I know they have to pick and choose, like, when they're thinking about what to submit you know, they don't want to go up against movies that they think they can't beat. So it's like, okay, we're going to throw this into musical or comedy. I think comedy is actually a good place for it. I mean, what do I know? But I, yeah. I honestly think that it did. You could appreciate the humor and the dark humor, though it was the humor in that movie. Judith Light was in it. I did really get blown away by um, oh, what was the actress's name? who played, Janet McTeer? No, who plays the um, head waitstaff. Oh. oh, what's her name? Elsa. Oh, was yes, that the character? Yes. yes. Um, yeah. Anyway, I'm just looking through here to see what. Anyway, she did a great. Um, Chow, I believe, is her name. Is yes. Yeah, right? and okay. she's the one who like does the line tortillas. <laughs> tortillas. Oh, Remember. Love it. So there's a scene. I'm not giving anything away, but they print something on the tortillas that they're serving to people, which you know really shocks people. And just the way she delivers those lines. Anyway, oh, I think it's great. worth watching for sure. I'm curious what you guys thought about it. Thank you uh, for sharing your thoughts and opinions, Don and Mike. And when we come back, we got to talk about Brittany because she's posting oh, on Instagram again. and it's a lot of stuff. And we'll get to it right here on My Talk 1071.